Welcome to the Brood Life Podcast. I am your host, Brandon Hall. So grab a cup of coffee, plug in your headphones, and let's have a conversation. today's episode and I am really excited to have my friend Jeremy Nix on today's episode. We talk a lot about uh, several different things but one of the things you'll find out is that Jeremy is a uh, law enforcement officer and so uh, we uh, connected with each other uh, and decided to have a conversation about kind of what his journey has been uh, this summer as things have been happening throughout the country and in his own neighborhood when it came to protests and rallies and, uh, you know, what his experience has been as a law enforcement officer walking through racial justice and watching uh, things take place and how he worked through that. And it was really just a great conversation. Uh, If you guys don't know Jeremy, you'll get to know him through this conversation and he is one of the most authentic and down-to-earth people that I know. And it's always enjoyable to have a conversation with him. Not uh, only does he openly share about himself and his struggles and uh, his growth, but he also just, you leave the conversation feeling encouraged because he is also really good about speaking life into you and encouraging you and your gifts and your strengths. So I think that everybody's just going to enjoy this conversation and enjoy listening to his story and his growth and what he has gone through over the summer and and how it's changed him. Uh, I really, again, I just really enjoy this conversation and I really believe you guys will too. Uh, so you know, just listen uh, with an open heart and open mind and uh, stick around till the end of the episode for some more information. Hey, everybody, welcome to today's episode. I am really excited to have my friend Jeremy here and we're going to have a great conversation. Um, But before we get into that, I'm just going to hand it over to you for a couple minutes to just introduce yourself. Yeah. Thank you, Brandon. I am pumped to be a part of this. I love, first of all, I just love connection. And secondly, I love discussing, I really love discussing all things that are relevant (laughs) and how we can utilize whatever we've experienced to, to bring some good to the world. So I'm really excited. My name is Jeremy. I'm actually out of Southern California and I am first and foremost a dude. I'm secondly the husband to my amazing wife and best friend of 19 years. Uh, the father to my two boys, one a freshman, one a senior in high school. So I'm learning to navigate and negotiate the the whole process of your kids growing up. And then third, I am also a coach who helps people to level up in their health and their wealth through teaching them how to negotiate life and how do you level up by negotiating the choices and the obstacles we face in life so that's a little bit about me and i again i'm just really excited to be here awesome so uh first of all uh from what you've told me you your profession is also being a hostage negotiator 
Uh, uh, yeah, I kind of left that out. My bad. Yeah. No, you're fine. And uh, but just uh, find that fascinating. And when I told my wife that I was going to be talking to you, and she heard that you were a hostage negotiator, like she got really excited because she's really into all the true crime, like police procedural shows and stuff. So, <laughs> uh, but what caused you to pursue pursue that career of hostage negotiation? So. Just so we're, so you understand, first of all, I am not as cool as Denzel Washington. So a lot of people, <laughs> when they think of negotiator, they think of Denzel and I'm not that cool. Uh, the, it is, and also hostage negotiation or crisis negotiation, it is a field within a field. So I am a first responder. I am in law enforcement right. and I started there. So I started working the streets in law enforcement. That's, that's really where it was. I just had this conversation with somebody at work um, yesterday as to why negotiations was such an important part of my journey as the person. And as a first responder, I actually didn't even know it was an option until mm. I was going through kind of a struggle. The, the years of law enforcement and for, for those who don't know me, which is probably a lot of you don't know me, uh, my background, actually, I was a pastor for 14 years before I went into law enforcement and the years of law enforcement were weighing on me and my supervisor who knew me pretty well, she noticed it. And she said, hey, have you considered being on the crisis and hostage negotiation team? Have you considered making that a part of your career path? And I had no idea it was an option, really didn't understand it. And as I learned about it, it was everything that I wanted to be in law enforcement for. It was, it was all the things. So what drew me to it is, it is the it is one of the few times in law enforcement that we get to show up to a scene without without weapon necessarily without um, all the normal tools that a, that a cop would use. We just get to show up and listen, empathize, and hopefully change a situation from hostile to trust filled. And to yeah. me, that's making a huge difference. And so yeah. that's what drove me to it. I'm like, this is a chance for me just to show up and connect with somebody and maybe make a difference in his or her life during a really pivotal time in their life. I mean, when you think about what we're showing up to, that's a, it is, it's literally can be life or death. And that's what drew me to it. I'm like, that's a difference I can make right now. And I can see the difference and it's not always good, but when it, when, when we succeed, it is such a win and it's such a high to know that you, you went home and you really made a difference in someone's life. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And now, uh, like thinking of like 2020 has been an interesting year and, uh, to, to put it mildly. So, uh, and I know like what my own personal journey is through everything that's been happening, uh, not just this summer, but for the last couple of years for me personally, everything's kind of come to a head this year, I guess, with things like racial justice, racial reconciliation, but, uh, kind of leading up before everything kind of happened, like before the pandemic, before George Floyd, where, were you at personally before everything happened in your own like journey through that subject, racial justice, racial reconciliation? I would say that. So growing up in Southern California, specifically where I work so out of San Diego, we are my actual, even in law enforcement, my, when I was a street cop, my beat was the southernmost part of the, of, of the Western part of the country. So right across my beat, was Mexico. I could drive mm -hmm. to the border. There's a place called Friendship Park here in San Diego. And that was actually on my beat where there's literally the wall 
where people will come on a weekend and they will they will visit family members who aren't able to come from Mexico and then they are currently living in the United States or are now residents of the United States citizens and they're and they go and they meet each other on the weekends to talk to each other through the wall. So that was my I I had been there and seen people do that. Um, I worked in a very diverse, not just a diverse part of the county, but I also worked for a very diverse department. And so when I considered racial inequality or when I considered racial injustice, not just in, in terms of law enforcement, but across the board, up until, really up until the George Floyd incident and which led to another incident here in San Diego, um, another, another um, I would say a protest of an incident in San Diego after George Floyd. I always, I really did have the opinion as it relates to racism, that's a problem that they have in other parts of the country. That's not mm -hmm. a San Diego problem. Um, and I have learned that, that that is not true, number one. And, but, but that was my perspective. It was like, man, I would never, I've even, I've even said, I would never want to live in such and such state because those yeah. people, they don't understand what it means to be culturally diverse. They don't get it. And so that was my perspective is what happens over on the, in the heartlands of California, the South, or excuse me, heartlands of the United States, the South of, of the United States, those people have problems. That's not an issue that we deal with here in, in San Diego. That's, that was my perspective. So now I, let's move forward to everything just kind of ha happened with George Floyd. Uh, protests started happening. You're a law enforcement officer. Uh, how did you, as a law enforcement officer, as that was happening, process and handle the unrest that every, that everything brought to you both professionally and personally? Yeah, I, I want to make sure I put this disclaimer. I don't speak for all law enforcement. Absolutely. I, I speak for me, right? Yeah. I, I can only share from my perspective. And I say that because some of my thoughts are going to be offensive to those who aren't in law enforcement. And some of my thoughts are going to be offensive to those who are in law enforcement. So I'm speaking for me. Um, and so how my perspective changed, I went through a, a lot of emotions following George Floyd. So initially, when I saw the George Floyd video, when I saw the actual video, because I came into work, a lot of stuff had changed for me in general. Um, they sent a lot of us back to the street for a season because of COVID. Sure, so sure. a lot of, of my position had already changed. I was already in a, and you know, a lot of things were up in the air for me uh, and stuff like that. So I came into work that morning and I had heard about it um, when it was really starting to break the, the next day. I'd heard about it, but I hadn't seen the video. So I, I came in and I asked some of the people at work, Hey, have you seen this? You're like, yeah. And, and they didn't say much there. Have you watched the video? And then you can come up with your own opinion. And I, I was, I was at the, I was assigned at the time to a pretty small station. And so there's not a ton of people. So I watched the video. My initial response was not, Oh, look at those racist cops. That wasn't my initial response. My initial response was, Oh, look at that. And I, and I'm very vocal about it. So I don't, I'm, you know, it is what it is. Look at that idiot who doesn't actually know how to control a scene, who doesn't know how to control himself. What in the world is wrong with him? Here we go. Another guy making us look bad. And not the, the racial side of it did not hit me at all. I saw it as once again, another cop trying to prove he's in charge, yeah. trying to prove that he's the boss. Not, Oh, here's a white guy 
taking advantage of a black guy because he can. I, I didn't see it that way. That was my initial response. Now, um, I will tell you for me, and we can talk more about this. I believe that there is racism in every single every single field of employment i i believe it i i actually what what that led to is we had an incident in san diego that um not in my per, not in my department but in a, another department to where i got to i got to respond or was asked to respond to the protest that took place after it and which led to a whole lot of conversations with guys that i work with people that that look like me and people that don't look like me and um I got to hear other perspective because of that. So what what I will say that George Floyd did that other incidents in our in our um, in my history in law enforcement didn't do is there was a lot more conversation even within the within my field of law enforcement, the guys that I work with and the gals that I work with. And so I got to hear number one that that stuff doesn't just happen in the in the in the heartland. That stuff happens. In, and so I, I got to hear of stories of people that I work with who had experienced racism from law enforcement. Yeah. Um, I got to hear stories of people that I work with who experienced racism outside of law enforcement. So I do believe that there is racism in every field. I believe that there is every single thing. I think two things. Number one, I do think that when a racial act or a racist person is working in the field of law enforcement, it has a much great, and I'm gonna use an extreme opposite example, it has a much greater impact than when your maitre d' at a, at a, at a restaurant is racist. So when the maitre d' is racist, you may not even know that you might just chuck it, chuck it um, or chalk it up to just bad service when you don't get to sit at the table as quickly as somebody else, or when you don't get served as quickly as somebody else. That might, that maybe, is it bad service? Is it racism? You may not even notice it, but either way, at the end of the day, you just don't go back to that restaurant, right? If you don't like it. Right. When, a, when a law enforcement officer, when a government official, when a person who has, when a, when a judge, when pe even when a jury, when people who have power are, have race, are racially motivated, that is when it makes the biggest impact. And th therefore I, I am learning why it's so important to maintain the integrity of law enforcement. Okay. Yeah. Is that answering your question so far? I have another thought that I'll add to that. Is that answering? Yeah, your question? No, no, that's perfect. I think that's a great perspective. So then the, the second thing that I will say, and this is something I will, I will stand on for a long time. It's actually something I want to work to change. What I don't necessarily agree with across the board, as I've been at, as I've actually now had to, be at um, because of my job, I've had to respond to protests and I've responded to protests in the past, but they are experientially from the guy who's actually stood on the other side of the line, holding the line, if you will, these are completely different than anything I've ever experienced. Sure. And um, what I will say is I don't believe that police officers in general or the field of law enforcement is inherently racist. I don't believe that. I believe that there are racist cops and I believe it's unacceptable. And I believe that if someone is quiet about something that they know or see, then they are contributing to the problem and they should be dealt with. In, in my department, we have, a, we have a, a very strong policy that says to see something inappropriate or out of misconduct that is inappropriate 
and to not say something is as bad as doing it yourself. And you can be treated, you can be treated the same way. So you can be right. get at the same punishment. And that's not a policy that was put in place because of George Floyd or anything else. That is just the, that is just the culture that I work in. And I'm fortunate to work in that kind of culture in the department that I work in. However, what I do see as a major problem in the, in police, in policing that I believe is sometimes misconstrued and it's also unacceptable. I believe that the job of law enforcement, there are a lot of people that get into it for really good reasons. But I also believe that the job of law enforcement causes massive amounts of stress. It causes, ma you, you see the worst of people or people at their worst most of the time. And over the years, without really good emotional training, without really good um, skills in learning how to, as a person, how to communicate what you're experiencing, you begin to isolate and you begin to see nothing outside of your own um, trauma because the job brings trauma. Sure. You begin to see nothing. So you don't, it's, I, I believe you can start to see, and again, I speak for me. I'm not speaking for all law enforcement. I believe you can start to, you don't see black, white, Hispanic. You don't see people at all. And I think that is, if you're not careful, that's what begins to happen is you begin to not recognize that there's a person on the other side of that encounter. There's a person on the other side that, yeah, they may have made a bad decision that led us to a conversation today and they should be held accountable and they need to be responsible for their actions. But at the end of the day, there's a person on the other side of that encounter. And I think we have more of a problem with that than we do with all cops being racist. I think all cops face trauma. And when cops don't know how to deal with the things that they face, they end up making really bad decisions. They end up becoming bad people. And that leads to unnecessary uses of force against a lot of people. Yeah, That's yeah. really what I believe is, is one of the major problems in law enforcement today is that people are put in situations they were not prepared for. They did not recognize what kind of emotional toll it was going to take on them. And then because of that, their perspective changes and they treat people across the board inappropriately. I've had that happen in my own life. I've done that. I've, I've actually sought out counseling so that I could deal with some of the things that were causing issues for me. Am I answering your question, Brandon? Yeah, no, that's perfect. And I think that like for me, that's, uh, it, I, I have friends in law enforcement, but my brother-in-law is a state trooper. So like I get, I get it. I, um, but I think that that is a really good explanation. Like I've, that's the first time I've heard that kind of perspective of, uh, of trauma and then seeing everybody, no, not seeing people as people, but just, it's just a job. A You're seeing yeah. them as a situation. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of like in that, in that same vein of thought there, what do you, what are your feelings? I know a lot of people use the term like defund police, but I, I, I get what's behind it. I think that that explanation of defund police or that term defund police is a bad term because it takes people to the wrong, uh, down the wrong road thought wise uh but what what's your per, like perspective or, or thoughts about like either bringing uh people in that are trained differently to handle like mental health issues or or so or like social issues that maybe police officers aren't trained to, to do but like bring them in work together so it de-escalates a situation 
Absolutely. I um number one, I understand the I when when the word defund the police came out, I started to really research it because I wanted to understand what it meant. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't share with you, and we can come back to that if you want, because my one of the things that changed my perspective is uh is connecting with people that don't look like me. I just made a choice during this whole season to start reaching out to people who don't look like me to ask number one, how they're doing. I'm getting curious about how they were doing through the process. Number two, to help me understand because I didn't, like I told you, I, that doesn't happen in my town. So I began to talk to people who don't look like me, who didn't come from the same place I came from where I live. Like I, I grew up in this, like I said, San Diego, I don't know, maybe it's, and then talk to people who live in San So that, so that's also why I started to really research defunding the police. What does that actually mean? So I understand now, and maybe my definition is wrong. What I understand defunding the police means is not to re, not to get rid of police, but to re, to change the way I spend money so that I can increase social services and yes. counseling efforts and, 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 and therefore not give more money to police to do things they were never trained to do in the first place. Is that, are we on the same page so that we can move? Yes. So, okay. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's great. I actually think it's wonderful. I do believe that, and I think there was a statistic, um, or it was maybe it was after the Dallas shooting that took place where they were doing the march and and that man just shot so many, he shot a lot of police officers. Do you remember that yeah. a few years back? Yes. Yeah, I do remember that. The, the chief of police, uh, and I hope I'm not misquoting this, the chief of police in Dallas, he actually made the statement police officers are asking to to the, to be to handle situations that they were intended to handle and the volume of those situations is growing and i will say that in my experience just as someone who's worked on the street we deal with mental health care issues the majority of the calls we go to are mental health care issues yeah. um, people that are struggling in moments of mental crisis even as a crisis negotiator a big part of crisis negotiation is I deal with suicidal subjects. We go to way more suicidal subject calls than we do hostages being barricaded in a home. It's, it's just, I mean, that is just the truth. And law enforcement officers get training. Um, in my department, we get more mandated to go to a long, it's like a full week training, but it's a one week of training. We get training in our academy as well. But again, I am not a clinician. I'm not a physician. I'm not a psychiatrist and didn't sign up to be. I signed up to be a law enforcement officer. So I agree with the concept of upping the funds for those things. And at some point, if you don't need police officers to respond as, to as many of those calls, then then they don't they won't need the, the amount of money to deal with that. Right. I have two concerns about it. Number one, what do you do in the meantime? So if you defund the police so that you can refund, a, that you can now fund a source, there's going to be a gap of time that that's not happening. So to just take the money away and then say, they're still gonna, police are still going to do that, have to do the same job while you're building up this new resource. That's my first concern um, is that what are you going to do in the meantime? My second concern is I actually, in the department I work in, we have a psychiatric emergency, emergency response team. There are PERT clinicians. That's a psychiatric emergency response team. There are PERT clinicians that work. They are clinicians. They ride along with police officers and they respond to anything that sounds like a mental health issue. They go with the officer. There are still some things in mental health that are going to be dangerous. Sure. And, and, 
police officers are still going to have to respond. That's not going to change just because you have someone, a person who's in mental crisis and is violent, not everyone is going to, not both are always going to be the same, but a person in who's having a mental crisis has a mental health condition and is violent is going to be violent whether I show up or you show up. And so, and what people, a lot of people don't know, that clinician, just like I'm not trained to handle the mental, the mental health care, that clinician is not trained to handle the violence. And so, so you, no matter what you do, I believe there are going to be people that are going to have to be restrained. There are going to be people that are going to be, they're going to be violent and a clinician can't fix it just like a cop can't fix it in that moment. It's right. that, that's mm-hmm. just the reality. Um, we've seen it happen. I've seen it where I've had a clinician with me on a call and has, they have done most of the talking and it still ended up being a use of force because that person needed medication, that person needed true, true psychiatric care, and that's not going to happen at their front door. And right. so, so I think to, if we believe that, that defunding the police to increase those services is going to fix the problem, I don't believe so. I believe because the other side of it is those clinicians are not going to respond without help. So if you defund the police, you're not going to have enough people to help them. I also think, and a lot of people don't realize this, do you know, well, at least in my, maybe this isn't, this isn't, may not be countrywide in my state, in my area that I work, the same thing is true with firefighters. There are things that people need medical attention for, but what people don't realize is I still have to make it safe for them. They won't go into a scene where someone is hurt because they need to be protected. So just because you have a firefighter doesn't mean you don't need a cop now because the cop has to go and keep things safe. So what, what I think I struggle with in all of this is this, this, um, this belief that I think I hear that says, if we just had more clinicians, if we just had more mental health care workers, people would stop doing things that are violent. And that's not true. And so we're, you're at some point and the same thing I struggle with is the idea that just because there was force used on a person, whether that force ended up being a taser, whether that force ended up being a person being put in what we call the wrap, it's a really, it's actually a really humane way of, of um, immobilizing a person. It's called, a, it's a device called the wrap, or whether that ended up being a shooting, that doesn't mean the cop did something wrong. Some situation, this is a, we, society in itself is going to have at times violence. Right. And it is not always the police officer's fault that there is. There are times that there is. The, what happened to George Floyd is unexcusable. So I, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that there, but what I see happening in our culture right now is if someone who had a mental health care issue ends up getting injured on a call, it's because the police did something wrong. If someone who, who was encountered a police officer ended up having, and I'll use really low things, ended up having uh, bleeding and they're bleeding all other, you know, they're, they're having to take it to the hospital for, for whatever reason, not life threatening. I'm just saying like, they just had to go, we suddenly go, those cops, there they go again. Yeah. At some point, people have to be held accountable and responsible for their actions. Yeah. Not, it goes both ways. And I think that's my issue with, with defunding the police. Adding more resources is vital, and I think it has to happen. I agree that there should be double the perk clinicians, triple the perk clinicians that we have. It will not take away the fact that violent people are sometimes going to be violent, and you can't talk them down. 
I'm in the business of talking people down in, in hostile situations and we don't always win. Right. We can't always help it. So is that, is that helpful? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Uh, I know that's not something that I had brought up before, but I just, that just came to mind because I think that's a, yeah, that falls in with everything else that's kind of happening. Um, and you kind of like talked a little bit about this, but what are ways that you like yourself have changed or grown through this whole process over this year? Uh, I think my own ignorance to how far or how not far we've come in certain areas has changed. I, I have had, like I told you, I've had really great conversations. I, not to toot my own horn, but I made a choice. I was actually so we did have an incident here. I did respond to a protest and it actually made me very angry. Um, it actually made me angry at the people protesting. It didn't make me angry because of the situation and that I came home and uh, I pretty much locked myself in my room for the next couple of days because yeah. it had such a major, here I was the guy defending people's right to protest and the things that were being said to me, the things that were being thrown at me, the things that um, I, you know, yeah, I understand that there's a lot of people listening like, well, you signed up for it. And I totally do. I'm not, I'm not whining. I'm just saying I, I took two bricks to the head. I had a, I had a, a partner who, if she hadn't been pulled back, a Molotov cocktail exploded right in front of her uh, while we were staying there defending people's right to, to protest. And um, I came home very angry and didn't want to defend anybody. But yeah. that also yeah. within within about, a, it took me about 48 hours, but in about 48 hours, I believe for me, I'm a person of faith. I'm like, man, God put the right people in front of me. And I encountered someone on Instagram who shared a story of, be, she was, she was um, an African-American woman who was adopted by a Caucasian couple. And they had said to her all her life growing up, they had said to her, we don't see color. Don't worry. We don't see color. And in her, and she began to share and she began to cry. She said, my family missed me because Mm -hmm. to not see my color is to not see all of me. I am all of those things. They should not love me be by being blind to me. They should love me for all of me. And whatever it was about that moment, it clicked in me. And I ended up reaching out to her. We ended up having a really great conversation and it caused me to want to understand more. And so from that point on, I reached out to a friend of mine, Jamil. He and I actually did a whole series together on my podcast of a conversation with a black man and a white cop. And, and we began to have conversations and I learned about how he has experienced um, racism and how people have treated him a certain way because of the color of skin without even knowing him. And guess what? He grew up in Southern California. And so how it's changed me is number one, I'm not oblivious. And I, number two, I know how far we have to go. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also made me very much aware of why people respond, why based, based on someone else's experiences or the, the cultural stories that have been passed down. I don't mean stories that have been made up. I mean the stories, the experiences that have been passed down, why, right. why I right. would immediately see a bad cop doing a stupid thing and why someone else would see a white cop hurting a black man for no reason. Yep. And so I now understand that so much of my experience dictates why I see it from that perspective. And uh, my wife and I had a conversation once, how it's changed me too is if I, and because I've been back on the street, I've had to do this. If, if I pull over someone 
who doesn't look like me, a person of color, a person of a different race. And they act a little bit more aggressive towards me. I'm probably a little bit more patient than I might've been in the past. Sure. Because I don't know what their background has been. Now I still have to keep my safe, myself safe. And so if they still fail to follow instructions, I'm going to have to keep myself safe. That that's not, that's not because I'm going to go home to my wife at the end of the day. But one of the things my wife and I were talking about, she said, I don't understand this whole thing about like, everyone keeps saying they teach their, they, they teach their kids to, um, I teach my kids to put their hands, both hands on the steering wheel, look straight ahead and only answer the question. She goes, my parents taught me that too. And what's changed for me is that when I was, when I, when I heard her say that I was able to go, right, your parents taught you to do that because it is respectful, but not because they were fearful for your life. Mm. Our friend Courtney's parents taught her to do that because it's respectful and they were fearful for her. And that, and that's where my, that's where I've changed. I think that's where I've changed because I, I understand awareness, awareness, right? It's just being aware. And so, um, is, again, I always like to come back to, am I answering your question? Yeah, no. And I think that that is, that's really a great uh, answer because I, uh, when you were talking about that, I, one of the things that I have learned is that like, I may not have done anything bad to that person. I may not have hurt that person or said some or a racist remark or treated them unfairly. But when they look at me, I'm a representation of somebody who has done that to them in the past. And so I have to remember that and come to that relationship or that interaction with that perspective is that like I haven't and I'm not going to, but they're automatically going to think of me that way because I represent somebody who's done that to them before. Absolutely. And, and, and to, to be oblivious as a, as a, as a peace officer for me not to recognize that my career field has a long history of taking advantage of those who are disenfranchised and misusing their authority, those who are underrepresented, to to be oblivious to that or to be ignorant to that is is my bad. Yeah, and and that's where I think I've changed. I I go again. I'm always going to say people have to be responsible for their actions, but I am now more understanding. And, and like I said, more patient when someone has that opinion of me because of the uniform I wear, because someone else has had an opinion of them because of the color of their skin. And what I, that is what I actually said to my new friend who I saw on Instagram is I was at a protest. I was yelled at. I was treated poorly. I had bricks thrown at my head because of the uniform I wear. The difference between me and you is when I go home, I take that uniform off. And the fact that you have felt that way and have felt unseen and have felt mistreated and have felt judged simply because of the color of your skin of which you can't and should not ever have to worry about changing, that that shifted my perspective for life, yeah. for life. Yeah. So uh, in the midst of uh, all this, we have, you know, we have ra racial justice, we have protests, we have a pandemic, we're uh, kind of done with an election, uh, but, uh, and there's a lot of other things that have been going on this year. How have you, like, how do you move forward and from here and like, where are you finding hope right now in the midst of all this? Well, I have hope. Um, first of all, my faith gives me hope. Yeah. 
I, I don't have hope in an election because my faith isn't in, in an election or who the president is. It doesn't yep. matter to me. I know that it can affect my life as I know it, but I'm that, but while I respect the position and the, and the, and the office, I don't, I'm not someone who comes from a standpoint that says that is God's man or that is not God's man. I'm God's man and God's going to take care of me. And so, so number one, I have hope for that. Uh, number two, these kind of conversations give me hope because as long as we're still talking, then we can make progress. When we stop talking and we're only fighting, that's when we have, that's the problem. I had a, a, a counselor in my life who said to me, he said, do you know why people don't like to talk to the other person when they're mad? And I'm like, well, cause they don't want to say something they don't mean. He goes, well, that might be true. But oftentimes if I don't talk to you and I'm angry at you, then you're a bigger monster in my mind than you are in real life. And so That's if good. I can just keep talking to you, then you can continue to be this monster. But the minute we have a conversation, you become a human and I become a human. And I, and as long as, so I have hope because I do think a lot more of this is happening than it's ever happened. This yeah. conversations. And that's what I want. That's why, yeah, it makes me nervous to be the, the white cop talking on a, on a podcast. <laughs> it does because I don't yeah. know what I'm going to say. I'm sure I've offended like a hundred people already, but I'd rather, I'd rather us to have the conversation and then talk through the offense so that we can make it right. Um, than to just tell ourselves stories about each other. And so, yeah. so those two things I think give me hope. And then I think third, uh, for me personally, the pandemic, the, the election, um, and even all that's happened with, um, with law enforcement and defunding the police and all the things that have gone on there, they have forced me to choose to grow. Mm. And so while that may not give hope for everybody, because not everybody is going to make that choice, that's what gives me hope is I recognize that, man, this has been an opportunity. 2020 was has been the most jacked up year. And I know that good things come when we grow through hard things. And so I have chosen to grow. So I have hope because I'm like, man, if we can make it through this year, we're, we're ready for what's next. I'm sure that what's next won't be great either. So, but we're ready and we can grow. And, and that's so I have hope because I personally have grown leaps and bounds because of all the obstacles we've faced this year. Awesome. So uh say somebody is listening to this conversation, have questions, or uh maybe want to start a conversation, what's the best way that they can find you? Sure. Um I'm always at hello at jeremynix.com. If you just want to email me, please send me your hate mail. I don't care. And then um <laughs> and and I actually like connecting through Instagram and Facebook. I, I enjoy yeah. that. I think it's a place yeah. that we're at. And so by all means, Jeremy Nix, you're going to find me on Instagram. Jeremy Nix, you're going to find me on Facebook. Send me a DM. I would love, I respond to every single DM that I get. I love it. And it's the best place for us to connect rather than sending you to some website. I also have a podcast, which is called negotiating for life. So I use the skills that I have as a negotiator to help people work through relational issues, work through failure. I, I do that as well. Um, and I'm not going to give the date, but if you're a dude and you're an entrepreneur, we're also working on the dad boss summit that's coming up and I'm going to have some really cool people speaking and, and sharing that. So that's coming up. I'm not giving the date, but it's coming up. Awesome. I'll tell you after we get through the election, we'll, we'll deal with that. So. Awesome. And, uh, and people can uh, find you on a little streaming platform too called Disney plus. Oh, you did it. You did it. You're not supposed <laughs> to do it. Yeah, I happen to be. A, that's not my most proud moment. That was actually a moment that's of okay. growth for me in 2020. So, Yo. yes, it's also on Disney+. Plus. But the, but let, let me explain. Like, 
you you don't have to be embarrassed of that at all. And, and it was a moment of growth. But I, I like, I really got a lot out of watching you. I watched the whole series. It's a fantastic series. Uh, you just happened to be on the first episode, but uh, it it was impactful for me to watch. You know, a, a group of people, but no, because I knew you. Like watching you go through that growth, and I think that it was. Uh, it was a really impactful moment, for, I think, for anybody who watches it. So definitely don't downplay it. <laughs> well, thanks. I, I, I will never forget, nor do I regret doing it. It was yeah. um, I had no idea that things and people don't know who haven't watched it. It's called Encore. It's on Disney Plus, and it's the story of people getting brought back to high school to find out what happened after. That's the best way to say it. And yeah. I had no idea the things I had held on to or believed about myself for 25 years since I left high school. And so it was a huge, there's some things I don't like that I did and said, but, but there's a whole lot of that is like, if you, well, I don't know if people would say I shaved my head now because of that show. And that'll make sense when you watch the show. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, yeah. so yeah, thank you for, thank you for saying that. I, I do not regret it. Awesome. So uh, one more thing, because the podcast is called the brood life. Uh, what is your drink of choice when you go out for a coffee? Oh man, you guys are, do you, here's Brandon, you, you should have asked me this in advance. My drink of choice when I go out for coffee is either diet Dr. Pepper or iced tea because I don't drink coffee. That's okay. <laughs> I can't lie. But my wife, I'll tell you my wife. So we go get coffee together and I will get a tea. My wife will have an Americano. That is like yeah. her go-to Americano. And so I have learned to really enjoy watching her drink it. And I love the smell. Yeah. You know, that, which is funny, like so far, the Americano has been the most common drink that everybody uh, says. And I'm a big Diet Dr. Pepper fan as well. So yeah. Long live uh, <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, it's been a great conversation and I really appreciate your honesty and vulnerability. Oh man. Thank you for having me. And uh, again, I just, I'm, I love connecting. So I'm really grateful you even thought to have us connect. Guys, that was such a great conversation. And again, I just got a lot out of that and enjoy talking to him. And I hope that you guys enjoyed that too. Uh, feel free to go out and uh, find him uh, online on Facebook and email him at that email at his email address that he gave out there and just connect with him. Like he's always willing to have a conversation and talk and he is uh, just a real authentic person. I know. I think that uh, you really enjoy connecting with him. Uh, also, like we said in the episode, go and check him out on Disney Plus in the series premiere of Encore. Uh, and he kind of tries to push it off a little bit, but uh, it was such a great episode, such a great series. And uh, it, it was really encouraging for me to watch him again, watch his growth and and his own process through that. So uh, find him check him out, connect with him. You won't regret it. Uh, thanks again for listening to this episode. Uh, if you got something out of this or you feel like this is something that somebody else would get a lot out of and enjoy, then uh, feel free to share this with them. Uh, text it to them, email it, share it on social media. 
Uh, you can find us online on Facebook and Instagram at the Brood Life Podcast. And feel free to go out to whatever podcasting platform that you listen to and subscribe, rate, and review, and just share this and start some more conversations. Thanks again for listening, and I will see you next time as we continue with another conversation.